Good morning. The Bible reading this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 17. So that's Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth are completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic, reason and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Jihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Adrian, for your scripture reading. And that was difficult words there, and you did a good job on it. Thank you. Good morning. How are we all doing? I want to welcome visitors here this morning. I think we have visitors from right across Australia, from Sydney, a young couple, Ben and his wife, and just newly married, and my son Steve from Tassie, and, and other visitors. So we also have friends who are watching us online, uh, both across Australia and internationally as well. Uh, I know my sister is up early morning watching us online at the moment from India. So good to be online. This morning, we're going to be talking about four gardens. We're taking a break from Matthew that we are doing. And then from next Sunday, we'll start a new series that we'll talk about it next Sunday. So this morning, we'll be looking at 
the four gardens. I'm sorry again, you'll have to be looking back forward. <laughs> um, so we'll be looking at those four gardens and what it means for us today. Shall we pray and come with this word into his hands? Father God, we thank you this morning that you are exalted. And as we come before you looking at your word, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, we pray that we will be not people like who will look into the mirror and forget ourselves. But Lord, we'll be people who look into your word and be transformed as you want us. So Holy Spirit, we pray this morning that you'll enlighten the word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at four different gardens. So we're going to go from Genesis to Revelation. I love to stay in one place in the Bible, but this morning we're going to go right across. We're going to be looking at four gardens. So we're going to look at Genesis, Ecclesiastes, and John, and Revelation. There are a lot of things in life that you either love or you don't. You either love footy or you don't. You either love crowded spaces or you don't. You either love politics or you don't. And I think that's especially true when it comes to gardening. Gardening is one of those things that you love or you don't. Anyone loves gardening here? Oh, good, good, good. And some of you know how to kill plants. <laughs> and some of you know how to grow plants. So it's either you love or you don't. I love gardening. When we find time for walks, Susan likes to take the main road. I like to walk where people live. I want to look at their garden, the landscape, the kind of plants they have in their garden, and the kind of plant that grows in that area. And the following week, I'll be off to Bunnings. <laughs> I do gardening as a hobby. When I'm stressed, I do gardening. I love orchids. They're my favorites. And I love watching something grow. No matter what you think about gardening, whether you love or you hate, most of us do love a nice garden. Okay? Yes, yes. So good. We're on the same ground now. We like to see a nicely maintained public garden. And here's an example. That's a place we love to go. We'll be going there shortly. Uh, orchid Garden, Changi Airport in Singapore. Beautiful place, beautiful orchids and the waterfall. Now, you may, be asked, you may be wondering, what does gardening have to do with Christian life? I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> this morning, we're going to have a look at four gardens and what it means for us. Number one is the Garden of Eden. We're going all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, and we, read, and we heard the scripture that was being read. This is, it is here that we find Adam, the first gardener. In this first garden, what God had made. In Genesis chapter 2 and 3, God plants a garden. And when I was reading that passage, I thought, wow, the plants grew by themselves. They didn't need any fertilizers from Bunnings. They grew by themselves. I thought, wow. 
He formed man from the dust of the ground. He put Adam there in the garden, which is like paradise on earth. Everything was green, was growing well, and all is good. Now, in the center of the garden, there were two kinds of trees. One is a tree of life, and the other is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right in the center of the garden. One tree seems to be like a source of life, and other seems to be just the opposite. Because it's just not the tree of knowing good. It is also the tree of knowing evil. But at this point, everything is still good. In fact, at the end of Genesis chapter 1, it says all is very good. And God saw that it was good. There was only one key rule in the garden. And that's chapter 2 verse 16. And God commanded the man... And he said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Sounds simple, right? Just one rule. Just one rule. Enjoy the garden. You can eat from any tree, but not that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat that tree, it will bring death. Then in verse 18, God makes Adam a helper, a companion to compliment him. And that's Eve. So we've got Adam and Eve now in the garden. Still everything is good at this, at this point. They're living under God's authority. Gardening in the goodness of creation that God has created. It's all good. Until chapter 3. A sneaky snake asks a tricky and a difficult question. It's a question that sows doubt in the minds of Adam and Eve. It sows doubt in the mind of the woman about God and the goodness of God. This sneaky snake tempts Eve to believe that God is spoiling their fun and they're not good enough. And he says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Look at what he said. You will be like God if you eat from the tree. And God is spoiling all the fun for you guys. Eat from the tree. The snake tempts Eve. And, and Eve takes another look at the tree. And oh, it looks so good. It's so desirable. She grabs the fruit and she eats it. She takes a bite into it. Some people think it's apple. It's not apple. Bible doesn't tell us what fruit. She grabs it and eats it. And then she gives the fruit to a silly husband who's probably been with her all along. And he eats it as well. And just like the serpent said, their eyes were opened and they see whole, they see everything in a new and different way. A whole new world of evil and shame has been suddenly opened up before them. They suddenly realize that they are naked. Everything is different. What's changed? They hid from God and they began to blame each other. No, you did it. No, you did it. 
No, you ate it. No, you ate it. So they began to blame one another. When you decide to run your own life, this is what happens. You decide what is right and wrong for yourself. And then you'll keep a good distance between you and God. And then you start blaming each other. And then you want to hide from God. You don't want to do anything from God. But friends, it doesn't work that way. Because you can't hide from God. We can't hide from God. God finds Adam and Eve. And it's all going to change now. Because of the path that they have chosen. Because of the decision that they have made. Every part of life now is going to feel like hard work. Life is going to be hard, frustrating, and disappointing. Every part of life now is going to feel like hard work. The decision to chase after so-called wisdom of being like God and deciding what is right and wrong for themselves, they have stained everything. Friends, that's how work is, and that's how life is. That's the curse. And here's what God says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through, through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since, it, since from it, you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Friends, in this garden, even though we see glimpses of God's beauty and the presence of his creation, it is also a world that is stained with sin. It's stained with disobedience and deception. So Adam and Eve are thrown out of the garden, forbidding from getting to the tree of life. And that's the first garden from the Bible, where man and woman decide to run their own life. They decide that they want nothing to do with God and they want to run away from God. This shows the type of the world we live in. Poverty, war, disease, drug addiction, hate groups, hopelessness, pollution, domestic violence. That's the world we live in. It's sad. It's hard to hear because it's true. That's the first garden. And here's the second garden. It's the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's hop over to Ecclesiastes and we find garden number two. Ecclesiastes is an Old Testament book written by a guy who calls himself a teacher. It's a philosophical book of life and experiences. It's a book in which the teacher applies his own wisdom to see if he can understand how things work, how life works. So this wise teacher wants to see what is really worth living for. Is life really worth going after? Is there anything in life that's going to last? The teacher asks these questions in a world where things come and go, they disappear like a vapor. Everything is meaningless. How are you going to find satisfaction? Can we really find satisfaction? So this teacher is going to try 
everything to find satisfaction. The first thing he tries is he builds a garden. That's the second garden. He builds a garden. It's kind of symbolic. He makes wealth for himself to enjoy the good, uh, good life. He tries to find out what makes life tick. And here's what he says. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 3 and 6. I try cheering myself with wine, embracing folly. My mind is still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs of water groves of flourishing trees. It's like he's trying to rebuild the Garden of Eden, isn't it? He's planted all this. He made this beautiful garden. But see some of his conclusion. He tried all this. And this is what he says. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. This is what he finally says. Everything is meaningless. Chasing after the wind. Nothing is gained under the sun. That's the problem. Whatever we strive to achieve, whatever on our own strength we try to do things, in the end it turns to dust. It comes to nothing. All the hard work comes to nothing. When we're in Tassie, I tried to get a nice garden. In our garden, we had a beautiful standard white English rose. Like a fence, envy of everyone. People just come by, pick a rose. It was beautiful. And we had a maple tree right in the middle of our lawn. And orchids blooming everywhere. When we left Tassie to come, or to come here, we had to leave all this behind. I couldn't get them. We had to leave all this behind. It was painful to leave them behind. And a few months later, I called up one of our, uh, our neighbors. Uh, we had some issues, and we, we were chatting up. And I asked him, how is my roses doing? How are or orchids? And he said, Sam, it's all in a mess now. I couldn't hear those words. In the end, all that hard work came to nothing. That's the lesson of the second garden. No matter how big we plant our garden, no matter how good a garden that we plant, no matter how hard we work, in the relentless pursuit of meaning, meaning, pleasure, and purpose, in the end, it's like vapor. Poof, it's gone. It all ends in nothing. It's sad, but that's how things are. It's enough to make you feel depressed about life. Until we get to the next garden. And let's look at it. Garden number three. Called the empty tomb garden. We have been to Garden of Eden. And we were thrown out of it. We went to the teacher's garden. Where the teacher says everything is meaningless. It all vanishes. But something wonderful here. It's happening. Let's go to the New Testament in John's Gospel. Look at what John says in this. It's right after the account of resurrection. There's an empty tomb. An empty, uh, 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 empty tomb in this garden. 
a sad garden with a tomb in it. Over the couple of days, it was occupied by a body, and now it's not. And there was a gardener, in case you missed it. I'll put the scripture up. There was a gardener. Mary was there to anoint the body of Jesus. Now the body is missing. She's so upset. She meets someone in the garden. In, she's being so upset, she, she didn't recognize who this person was. And this person in the garden says to Mary, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Of course, the so-called gardener is Jesus. But Jesus is not just a gardener who gets paid to keep the graveyard tidy. He is the answer for life. He alone has the answer for the problem of dust that we see in Ecclesiastes. Because he did not become dust. He alone is the problem. He alone is the answer for the problem of death. Because he overcame death. He alone is the answer for the problem where nothing seems to last. Because the Bible says he is from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. He is the answer to finding satisfaction for the world where nothing lasts. Because it's right here. He is Jesus who lasts forever. Here's the garden where death finally turns to life. There is hope, friends, in this empty garden. The empty tomb brings hope for Mary. This is a story that unfolds. It is a resurrection that opens up the way for the meaning, for purpose of life. And it is Jesus who opens the gates in the Bible to the final garden where we see the tree of life. It changed Mary. As soon as she saw Jesus, she said, Rabboni, my beloved teacher, my Lord, my God. Mary recognized Jesus. Ah, uh, 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 hopelessness was turned to hope in this garden. And friends, if we are living in a place where things seem to be hopeless, we don't find an answer. Maybe we're living in a sad garden. Let's look to Jesus. Call upon him. And when we recognize him, he's right here in our midst. He was right where Mary was. And yet Mary was looking everywhere. And friends, when we recognize Jesus right here with us, our hopelessness turns into hope that we could find in Jesus. So this garden of empty tomb was turned into hope for Mary. So this morning, friends, we have hope in Jesus. That we can put our trust in Jesus. Let's look to him. He is the answer for life. Now Jesus, because of Jesus, he leads us to the final garden. Garden number four. And I call it the ultimate garden. What happens in this garden? We go right, back, right all the way down to the book of Revelation. It's a final garden I want you to see this morning. In this final chapter of the Bible, where this whole story concludes... In Revelation chapter 22, it's the ultimate garden. And this is what it says. Beautiful words. Words that bring us hope in this final ultimate garden. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down to the middle of the street 
of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood trees of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree that they are for healing for the nations, no longer will there be any curse. What a fantastic garden that we are hoping for. Now here in this garden, we find future with hope. There is purpose and meaning and hope that will really last. All that we lost, all that we lost in the other gardens, we find it here in this garden. A world that's in pain and struggling. A world where everyone is chasing after something, climbing a greasy pole of success. Chasing after wind, where everything is meaningless, like a vapor. In the first garden, we lost our connection with God. In the second garden, God, found, God is found in the midst of suffering. In the third garden, there is hope because of Jesus. In the final garden, the final ultimate victory, uh, ultimate victory and overcoming. This is the garden where there is overcoming. Finality is fully being restored. By looking at this garden, one thing is for sure, without God in our lives, all we do is empty and pointless. Without God in our lives, everything we do is empty and pointless. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. The one who walked out of the tomb the one who changed hopelessness into hope. The one who holds our future. Let's put our hope in him. It's a tree of life where there is no more curses. And this is what it says in Revelation chapter 21. The last chapter in our Bibles. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That is hope, friends, that we look forward to. In the midst of our pain and suffering, we look forward to this hope. No more death. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. No more sickness. It's a place where God will wipe every tear away. That's the place we're looking for. God's answer for us is His only Son, Jesus. In a world where we can't be satisfied, we will look forward to the world where we have hope in God, where we will be satisfied. There's purpose. There is hope. In this final garden, where we were going to look at, where we'll be going to. The answer is in finding sat satisfaction in this world where nothing lasts. But right here in Jesus, we have hope that will last forever. And friends, that is what we are longing for. The pain that you're going through will be removed. The sorrow that you're going through will be taken away. He will wipe every tear from your face. Death 
has lost his thing. Yes, it is true. Jesus has lost his thing. But we will go on to live with him forever. Pain is gone. It's taken away. And that's the picture we have in the ultimate garden that we are looking forward to. And let's live with that hope and encouragement that we serve a God who lasts forever. And we put our trust in him this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we looked at these four gardens this morning. Lord, the first garden is all about man losing his connection with God. The second garden where man toils on his own and trying to reach out to God. The third garden is Mary looking for the gardener. Talk so much of our lives. Maybe we are seeing the gardener but not seeing Jesus. Holy Spirit, right now we pray that you would minister in our hearts. Open our eyes. Open our inner eyes to see you as Lord. And like Mary, she recognized Jesus and she said, Rabboni, my master. This morning, Lord, may we cry out from within our hearts. Look to Jesus. There is hope in Jesus. In our walk in this world with pain and suffering, with hardship, with difficulties, losses we know that we can look to Jesus because he's with us he was right there in the garden with Mary he's right here with us in our walk and Lord we look at the fourth garden it brings hope for us that we are going to be with you in that garden where there's tree of life and that's our hope I hope, Lord, where every pain is gone, sickness is gone, death is removed. Lord, that we will walk with you and be with you and worship you at the throne of Father. Thank you, Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you'll be with us in our walk with you. Every one of us here, Lord, every one of us here, seated here and outside, those watching us on the line, Online, we pray, Father, that you touch us right now as we look to you. Lord, you hear our cries. You answer us and you touch us. Thank you, dear God. We ask this in Jesus' name.